Hi, this is Lindsay from No Right Way. Episodes 1 through 3 are Antoine and I walking through the article titled 75 Things White People Can Do for Racial Justice by Corinne Chatak that made its way around social media. We go through the article number by number and dive into the layers of each action rather than just checking off an action in and of itself. We recorded the first three episodes on May 22nd and realized other things have happened or changed since, including the article, which is now up to 97 things and the corresponding numbers have changed. So you hear us talk about numbers one, two, etc., and they are actually now different numbers on the list. We are new to podcasting and as such, recorded the audio from a mic on a coffee table while we sat on the couch and talked. So get ready to turn it all the way up. Hashtag rookies. Our goal is not to say our opinion is the best, but to provide thought-provoking conversation. We're so glad you're here. And now, on to the episode. Hi, this is Lindsay. This is our first official recording for No Right Way. I am joined by... Antoine, her worst half. (laughs) Not true. Uh, We have been having conversations this past week after some hard things in the news, and um, in some of our conversations thought, maybe we should put some of our thoughts out there. So this past week, there was an article posted everywhere called 75 Things White People Can Do for Racial Justice. And as we started talking about this article Um, I thought that what Antoine was helping me understand these things in a different way was so beneficial. We thought, let's go through these. For background, Antoine is a black man. (laughs) (laughs) Antoine is black. Lindsay is white. We are married. We've been married for almost 10 years. We have two lovely children. And we believe all people are equal. And the differences are beautiful. Yes. <laughs> All right. First, why don't you start and explain like what you thought about this article? I, I only saw... Anytime I see an article about the 10 ways you make me feel or the 13 recipes that are awesome during quarantine or you know things of that <laughs> nature, I always feel like they are surface-level pieces. So I will admit that when I saw any posts or uh, mentions to something like this, I did not even graze over it because it seems I don't want to be offensive to anybody, but I feel like it takes more effort than just, you know, a checklist to engage in um, a discourse about racial inequality and how to and and racial sensitivity. So personally, I don't know too much about the article. Yes, and I have not read through it either. I read through the first five in preparation for this, but thought it would be more genuine to just go through it and have a conversation as we read it. Um, But when it did come up in conversation, what Antoine just said of like, it's more of this checklist, um, which is something that's catered towards white people. So, all right, number one. Google whether your local police department currently outfits all on-duty police officers with a body-worn camera and requires that the body-worn camera be turned on immediately when officers respond to a police call. If they don't, write to your city or town government representative and police chief to advocate for it. What are your thoughts? 
So, when it comes to body cameras, the concept is amazing, right? You know, it's like, oh, now finally those who are disadvantaged in society, whether by socio or whether by economic status, can show how they've been preyed upon. Uh, the problem with that, though, is that it's never been just about people being able to see it, you know. Don't get me wrong, it obviously helps, you know, the police officer, Derek Chauvin or whatever his name is, and the George Floyd case, or the, the three individuals in the Ahmaud Arbery case, were clearly charged after the fact because of the, and were arrested after the fact once the video made light. And everyone's seen the memes that go around, you know, they didn't arrest those people or individuals because they saw the video, it's because we saw the video. So I'm not saying that video is a bad thing. However, it is not the end all be all of stopping, for lack of a better term, police brutality, right? Yeah. Um, most jury instructions and most um, court of laws enforce the, the perception of things versus the reality of things. So all an officer has to say in the court of law, even with video showing that they broke the law, that they felt like their life was in danger or they felt that, that the, the perception was that, that there was ill will going to be directed towards them. Um, and whether that was the case or not, it's usually what they will get away with. So body cameras, while important, and I like the idea of that being embraced by more police departments and things of that nature, is just... It's proven itself to not be uh, as substantial as, as it should be. You look at the Philando Castile mm -hmm. uh, case where he actually says on video right before getting shot, well, I'm going to... Uh, he tells the officer that he's a legally carrying individual. He tells the officer where he's going to reach for. He tells him where the gun is, and the officer still shoots him on video. Yeah. This is the police video. And then the, the only reason we knew about it after the fact was because his wife's recording was on Facebook Live after he had already gotten shot. So then when they released the, the police video, it was even more damning because right. then you knew all the facts. Because then before people were saying from just the Facebook Live video, oh, we don't know what happened beforehand. Maybe he did this. Maybe he did that. Well, then when the police video came out, then it was even worse. Then it showed he was complying with everything and still got shot. And the officer still got off. So it, it, it you know, it's not, I'm not trying to, try, I'm try, not trying to knock the body cameras, but it still is not a uh, it's still not as perfect as it needs to be I should say yeah so talking through this number one is kind of what spurred us into a conversation of maybe we should talk about this um, with others because I had come to Antoine last night and been like I saw this article 75 things so it talked about googling if our local police department has body cams. So I started Googling, we live in Akron, Ohio. I started Googling, does Akron, Ohio have body cams? What's the policy? And the policy, I could not find it being public, but or I could not find a public version, but several articles referenced to it. So I had expressed that. And Antoine had said, but wait a minute, even if the body cam is used, the black man still dies. Like what's what's the root of writing our local government to make sure that the camera's turned on? What's the root of the camera being used if truly nothing happens with it? 
Correct. So as you go through these lists of, here's what you can do. Here's 10 things you can do to be a better person. It's still, like, think about the layers within what it's asking. Body cameras aren't bad. They're a great start. They're a great start. But the thing, the, the, the counterpoint to that is that now everybody has a surveillance camera. Now everybody has a ring doorbell. Now everybody has a, a cell phone camera. Yeah. So still use those as supplement to the body cameras because as Lindsay's noticed when she looked at the policy, there's all types of uh, caveats for turning them off. Yeah. And even if they don't have them on, it's not like, I mean, you know, there's not that much disciplinary action that's going to happen for them not to have them on. Right. So it's a start, but don't, like, again, I think it's just a checklist point, you know, to, and, and, you know, like I was saying before about this, there has to be some type of instant gratification. So you have to feel good in some way that you're doing something to change things. So there need, does need to be a to-do list that can be checked off in terms of improving um, yourself when it comes to, to uh, racial equality. But know that there's a deeper level to go to than just leaving a voicemail on your, on your uh, city council's um, phone about body cameras and then thinking yeah. you change something. Right. And to go deeper, like if you look up a policy too, is it really about whether there is or isn't a policy? Is it about whether the policy is or is not to turn it on when you get a call? It's more about what are the caveats, how much, how often are there audits, and what is the disciplinary process if the policy is violated? So there's just a lot of layers to that whole number one. Let's do number two. Google whether your city or town currently employs evidence based police de-escalation trainings. That's a mouthful. The racial makeup of your town doesn't matter. This needs to be standard everywhere. Write to your city or town government representative and police chief and advocate for it. One of my questions is, now I didn't try to do anything other than number one. If I Google, does Akron currently employ evidence-based police de-escalation training? I don't feel like I'm going to get an answer. It's interesting to me, like, the direction of this. And if you do get an answer, it's more than likely going to be, yes, we do. Right. Rubber stamped. <laughs> so, you know, and this is going to, I'm sure, offend somebody in the Blue Lives Matters crowd or somebody that has, that cares about people but also has, you know, a family member that's a cop or something. But there's no secret that as a general baseline... Um, some of the some of the lower common denominators are employed in police in policing and for the reason of that they want people to be obedient when mm. it comes to uh, working for the government especially in a salary where you're going to get shot at for uh, low wages right I'm not saying that police are idiots no we're I'm, not saying that we I'm have not, friends who are officers I'm, I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> I'm just saying is this there is there is evidence to show police hiring tactics yeah and what's done so that being said even with what's true even even though there that de-escalation training may be a part of the training the training overall is to treat everyone with suspicion to treat you know perpetrators differently from yourself the mantra of protect and serve has gone by the wayside mm -hmm. and so you know it's like, you know, you, you'll see videos of officers yelling, stop resisting, 
while they're still beating somebody. You'll see videos of after an officer's already shot somebody, they handcuff the body. This is this is part of the training. It's something to get mad at, yes, but also it's part of the training. So, you know, going beyond just Googling whether your city looks up and sees and whether they've, you know, just mouthpiece say, oh yeah, we do de-escalation training. What's the entire training program like? Are they training the police to act like they're going to war with their own city? Because it's like, again, they're supposed to be public servants. Mm. You know, they're supposed to be civil servants. They're supposed to be, be out looking for the community. And there's plenty of evidence of cops that do that. You know, people love, love to share the videos of the white police officers that will be in black neighborhoods dancing around with people and stuff, right? And engaging and playing basketball with the kids and things like that. You know, all great things and I wish more officers would do. But that being said, is that the norm? Are we talking about exceptions to the rule? Or are we talking about the norm? And to change things, you need to make you need to standardize it. You don't need exceptions. And we should have started with this. I don't know if I mentioned Antoine is super, super, super smart. I dare you to try to outsmart him. But let's back up. Can you define evidence-based police de-escalation training? So that would be assessing the situation, right? So yeah. let's say an uh, officer walks up to a scene and, you know, a guy has a knife in his hands and there's no one else around and he's, you know, um, talking in circles and, you know, he's sweating profusely, things of that nature. The officer should be able to assess that maybe this guy has some mental health issues. Maybe there's something wrong, you know, further wrong here that meets the eye maybe he's not a danger to anybody but himself and not necessarily the officers and i say that with the case in mind which i really can't remember the names or city or location but there was a guy where the cops were called to uh, which was on body cam the guy the cops were called to mental health check uh, a, a man i think it was a black man with a screwdriver in his hands and he was in a standing in his own doorway. Oh, that's what it was. His mother called, she was on the video too. His mother called the police because he had a screwdriver in his hands and he was a he had some type of mental issue. And uh, the police did not de-escalate the situation at all. They started yelling when he started moving, everything got fidgety and they ended up shooting him. And you, know, you could hear the mother screaming on video because she did not expect that resolution occur. She just wanted him to get some, she basically wanted somebody to come and de-escalate the situation. Right. And who else do you call on that but cops? Yeah. They're supposed to be enforcing, they're enforcers, they're supposed to be the enforcing branch of our government. So, when it comes to evidence-based de-escalation, that's what we're talking about. We are, we are supposed to be training officers to deal with situations the proper way, you know, and, and understand, hey, is this really a criminal situation? Do I really have somebody who's here trying to break the law? Or do I have a distraught individual, whether mental or not? Mm -hmm. Do I have somebody who's distraught and they just need help? You know, Suicide by cop has become a thing because if you can't, this is gonna sound horrible, but if you can't do it yourself, you, people know now, if I just point a BB gun at a cop, they'll, they'll do it for me, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's, um, it's interesting that that's the, you know, the, the the mentality that we have in our society now we feel like that's okay and so that's that is what it means to be able to that's what i'm saying the training that's going on when they're in police academy and building up to the point of getting to the de-escalation techniques needs to mirror each other yeah and they don't they're juxtaposed to one another i also feel like it's to a point where like the evidence-based 
de-escalation training really needs to specifically train you to assess each situation individually. And I don't know that that's happening. Um, no, it's much easier to apply a one-size-fits-all yeah. mentality. You know? But the issue is then, like, feeling justified in that is... Then is it the fault of an officer or their training? Like I've said before, you've seen, you'll see videos of shootings happening. Um, I, I don't know where this one happened, but there was just recently where a man was, was actually was being acting suspicious around a neighborhood and had his knife in his hand and was harassing people. Yeah. And when the officers got there, there were four of them standing there. And when he, you know, you know, you know how it is when you're, when you're a kid and you, you know, faux lunge at somebody like make me, you know. He did one of those too many times for the officers. One officer deployed a taser because he was assessing the situation. The guy's, you know, seven to ten feet away from me. He's he's pretending like he's lunging when he's not really going to do anything. He's Maybe he has a knife in his hand, maybe not, but he's got a weapon in his hands. That cop deploys his taser. The other three cops shoot the guy. So what's the difference between the one cop that assessed it correctly that he needed to use a taser mm-hmm. and the other three that just ended up using the, employing lethal techniques instead of non-lethal? Unfortunately, this guy survived, as far as I know from the story when I read it recently. But again, it's it's how do you get everyone on that wavelength, like you're saying? Yeah. And not just the the, the few to understand what they're supposed to be doing correctly. And I get it; it's a split second decision, but that's what training is for. If we can train our soldiers in Afghanistan to understand that they can't fire until we're being fired upon, when you're in war and there's a lot of guerrilla warfare going on in mm-hmm. urban warfare. Where there are tactics like, you know, um, uh, um, people dressing in civilian clothing, or the uh, um, jihadists dressing in, in civilian clothing, and them having to assess things, split-second decisions, and they do have low casualties uh, in terms of our armed forces, and they do assess things properly. They will get court-martialed if, you know, they fire upon without it. If we can train them to be in that type of work, why can't we do that with our cops? So with item number two, calling or Googling... If our local police department has this de-escalation training, doesn't necessarily do any good because the answer is going to be yes. I would be surprised if, first of all, if you can even find anything. And if you do, more than likely, you're just going to be told yes, no matter what. Yeah. You know, the better, so let's rephrase that. In In the spirit of the checklist, maybe instead of giving them what they want to hear, maybe you should ask. What are your training techniques overall? There you go. And then that way you can try to back if in. They'll your tell way. you. Right. Because <laughs> they might even get that far with it. But if you can back in your way into figuring out, is this even a priority on their list? Mm-hmm. Is this something that they're even going to be privy to tell me about? Right. All right. Number three. More and more stories of black folks encountering racism are being documented and shared through social media, whether it's at a hotel, with the police, in a coffee shop, at a school, etc. When you see such a post, call the organization, company, or institution involved to tell them how upset you are. Then share the post along with the institution's contact information, spreading the word about what happened and encouraging others to contact them as well. Whether the company initiated the event or failed to protect a person of color during an onslaught by a third party, they need to hear from us. When I read this, which was right before we started recording, my first initial response to this is, isn't, I don't feel like that's productive. 
sure, if an institution treats a person of color poorly, contacting them to give an opinion, I okay, what's productive from that and like making a post about it and making it, you know, saying all their contact information and saying how unhappy you are with them. So this one I actually do agree with because in today's age, uh, PR kind of means everything. Uh-huh. PR can affect your bottom line and all companies care about their revenue the most. So whether they truly care about their image sometimes or not may not be the case, but if their image starts to affect their pocketbook, then they will definitely care. So you look at the uh, Christian Cooper and Amy Cooper deal. Mm-hmm. That happened all over Memorial Day weekend, mm-hmm. I believe. And people were blowing up Franklin Templeton's Twitter, her employer, once they found out who she was. That's true. It was posted directly onto their Twitter. They had they posted something completely non-related to that. And people were posting underneath that about this, saying, hey, did you see your employee did this? Hey, did you see your employee did that? So by the time Tuesday morning rolled around, they had already posted on Twitter to announce that she was under investigative, uh, 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 suspended and under investigation. Yeah. And then by the end of the day, she had been fired. That works in today's age, you know, the social pressure of it, because I don't feel like that would have worked as well, you know, 20 years ago, because it's like they can do things more clandestine, clandestinely, however you want to look at that. Uh, but now, because it's out there, because people are taking so, their own cell phones, because you can request, you know, freedom of information, I get police body cam videos, things of that nature. You can now pressure organizations that that where this happens or their or their employers you know the um the video that just went viral with the the black men that were trying to work out in the gym Mm -hmm. and the white guy that that confronted them he lost his lease in that building yeah you know so these types of so true these types of things i you know i'm not i'm not for uh, for trying to bring people down for making mistakes Mm -hmm. but at the same time there are consequences for actions and if if people who are lower on the socioeconomic pole have to deal with them then everybody has to deal with them that's i think maybe i was reading it too literally like i was thinking okay if a restaurant something happened at a restaurant i call the restaurant and i just speak to whomever answers the phone and say i can't believe that you treated a person of color in this way I didn't understand the productivity of doing that because you don't know who's answering the phone you don't know who's the decision maker I do completely see like tweeting a company or whatever and like making it known in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Or going to your local news. Yeah. You know, you know like the, the Akron Beacon Journal or whatever and saying, hey, I was treated poorly at this restaurant because of my, because of, you know, I'm a person of color or whatever. Here's my story. Yeah. Because if you, maybe you can't get it out on the internet, but there's other media to go through. Because like, like I said, 20 years ago, you would have just called a complaint to the restaurant and they hang up on you. Right. And it goes nowhere. But there's so. I guess you could have done it on the news back then too, but the the way that things are just perceived now with the twenty four hour news cycle, things get out quicker, faster, bigger, stronger. And I, I do agree with this one that the the one of the things, especially since we're all so good at being, you know, Facebook warriors, I think this is one that actually does work fairly well in today's age. I have for sure used Twitter to make a complaint against a company and it did work. Not about mistreatment of yeah. anyone. But Twitter is powerful in that way. Okay, four. If you or a friend is an educator, buy said friend 
books that feature people of color as protagonists and heroes, no matter the racial makeup of the class. There's lists linked here. Um, Or purchase educational toys that feature people of color, such as finger puppets, black history flashcards, etc. for the classroom. Um, Use them year-round, not just in February. I agree with this and I agree that it's not something that we should have been told to do. <laughs> well, this so this is where we start getting into the realm of t- the conversation going about white privilege. Okay. Um, you know, and we say from the aspect of that when you are a straight white male, you are represented very well in culture. You yes. can see examples of every type of straight white male, you know, prosperous, not prosperous, educated, not educated. You can see a full gamut and spectrum. When you are growing up as a poor black kid, or you know, a poor uh, or a uh, you know Hispanic woman or something like that, the image of you is often very narrow. You know, you're shown as the drug dealer in the in the TV show. You know, you're shown as a single mother in in the episodes of Maury or something like that. Is and I'm not saying that they purposely do that. I'm just saying that the spectrum that you can get exposed to about who you're can be and supposed to be is so narrow, and that's why representation. It's so important. You know, somebody like a Barack Obama becoming president shows little black boys that they can become president. Mm-hmm. It is an attainable goal or, or, or thing. It's not something to be looked down upon. Um, you know, that was something that happened to me growing up. You know, being somebody who's considered, you know, oh, why are you going to these white schools? Are you a white kid? Because you can talk proper. You know, it's like, no, I'm, I'm just a normal kid. It it's not a knock on me to be able to be... Um, part of society I don't need to talk in demonics things and I had to be accepted so I do feel that representation is very important I don't agree with the part about being an educator and what about all this other stuff I mean you can just do it you know I think it's important yeah I, I think it's just important to sh- like like when you that's like you know when like girls you know, they talk about like girls with like you know black Barbies or Barbies mm-hmm. with different skin color or hair types it's just being it's just showing that you are that society acknowledges that you are there and that you have a goal or not, not a goal, but that you have a, a you know a mindset. You know, it's like the whole thing against Crayola when uh, the skin the flesh tones when the when the skin color crayon yeah or flesh or whatever was, yeah was was peach yeah you know it, it, it's it's just it's just misrepresenting because there's obviously all different types of skin tones. So I, I do agree with the the, the message of absolutely, this point, but it's too narrow in the scope. It's well, just, I think like when I first saw it, we have a daughter. Um, and as she has, like, I, and with our son too, we've been very intentional about the dolls that they have, the books that they have, like, they don't have all white anything. It's very important to us that they're exposed to black culture. I mean, absolutely it needs to be done. And this is where you get people get upset because, you know, things that are traditionally privileged, Mm um, can be off-putting you know like uh, and i'm gonna get i'm gonna nerd out here for a second but like people get got mad when you know halle berry was represented as catwoman because you know usually uh selena kyle catwoman is usually a, an italian portrayal and so the portrayal with dark skin you are nerding out sorry what i'm just saying <laughs> it's uh it, it inflamed a lot of people you know i forget let me look it up so i don't get it uh, john boyega the the actor actor in Star Wars. Oh, I don't know. He I a, do know who you're talking about. He got a lot of flack because they were put. Yeah, John Boyega. 
because they're putting a you know somebody black in Star Wars and you know and also with um, now I don't know the, the the girl's name that's the actress for the uh, for Ray Skywalker, um, but beyond that, yeah, there was a lot of pushback from white male nerds. Oh my God, why are you why are you trying to be uh, aggressive and forcing these things down our throat and all this? And it's like no, they're just trying to be representative of everyone that's out here. Yeah, no one's saying that you you know your space is being invaded or that Hollywood is being liberal elites and taking over things. But at the same time, things shouldn't be whitewashed either. Right. I'm grateful then. Like it's something that's been ingrained in our relationship and our family for sure. That, um, but yeah, if it's not happening, make that happen. Five, if you or a friend or family member is an educator, watch or share this video of Neil Degrassi. Degrass Tyson. Degrass Tyson speaking about his experience as a black student telling people he wanted to be a scientist and astrophysicist. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Tyson's experience reminds me of a black friend whose high school teachers tried to dissuade her from taking AP classes because with the best of intentions, they thought the AP classes would be too much for her. Be an educator who supports and encourages, not one who dissuades. Talk to educators you know about being educators who support and encourage, um, not educators who dissuade. I mean, 100%. Like, 100% be mindful. But again, this is this is part of preconceived biases. If you're brought up under the notion that those who are um, poor or non-white mm-hmm. cannot do the same things as richer or white, then you will have that preconceived notion that if I see a minority or poor person in my class, they're going to be dumber. And I know this one for a fact because, again, I am a chemist mm-hmm. in my profession. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I have gotten, when I start talking chemistry things, right, <laughs> when I start talking uh, uh, very high-level science topics, I get sometimes a, a side-eye, like, does he really know what he's talking about? Yeah. And I've had to prove myself. Now, I will say, and this will be the only humble brag I drop, but I am now an R&D director. I am now the leader of my department and what I do. So clearly there's been those that have thought well of me enough to know that I've proven myself to do such things. But I've usually, I've often had to go over and over the top, go above and beyond to prove that I can do what I can do. So I can completely understand where that's coming from. For sure, 100%. Because... Again, it's it's not necessary. Somebody doesn't have to be racist to have a bias. Absolutely not. You know, that's I think that's the thing we have to. An unconscious bias will get you. Six. Work on ensuring that black educators are hired where black children are being taught. If you want to know more about why and how this makes a difference for black children, check out this episode of Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. There are some really good nuggets in there about how schools can support the achievement of black students from ensuring black students aren't closed out of gifted programs by using test results instead of white teachers' recommendations to the influence that having a black teacher has on a black student's education to the importance to fostering a school ethos wherein black students think this school is here for me. My question on this one I absolutely see and understand the importance of having black educators, especially where black children are being taught. My question is, 
as far as the so-called checklist, it says work on ensuring that black educators are hired. And I'm not sure I know how you can do that effectively as an outsider, not in the education system. I mean, especially if you're not just hiring people directly. You know, this is a this is one that's again, this is where I feel like the list is now deviating from things you can actually do and it's just more of a fluff piece. You know, especially since this list is supposed to be directed at white people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think the more important thing is understanding why it's important versus and being able to articulate it if you're asked about this versus like actually going out and, you know, you know, trying to enforce um, affirmative action and make sure black teachers get hired. Yeah. You know, it's it, this just goes back to representation for me. Yeah. It's just it's just making sure that, you know, you understand that you're able to say, um, you know, a black kid in a school may feel more comfortable, maybe more well received or well heard by somebody who has similar life experience as them. And so they're able to express their feelings and emotions better mm-hmm. to a black teacher and just understanding that point. You know, I don't expect white people to all of a sudden go out and say there need to be black teachers in all schools, so I don't want things to go back to segregation either. Yeah. You know, um, I don't think that's what that is, this is saying, but at the same time, you know, that's a lot to ask somebody who's just reading this article that I posted on their Facebook to go make sure right. that their school has black teachers. It's definitely, I'm, th- I'm getting, again, like I haven't read anything past this at this point, so I'm thinking, okay, is the list going to be made up of a lot of things that are really meant to provoke thought like thought provoking and being mindful of privilege and being aware but like I just have this image in my mind of people like picketing around the school when I feel like it'd be way more effective to reach out to the the principal and share your priorities and opinions and reach out to the school board and share opinions like making strides in those ways rather than you know going out to like pick it or something like that there's just like more effective ways right all right that wraps up section one of our initial recording the article is such an undertaking that we wanted to make sure and break these sections up for you to have a chance to process also join us for the next episode to continue the conversation Also, you can find out more about us at knowrightway.com. Don't forget that's K-N-O-W, knowrightway.com, and by finding our Facebook group under No Right Way. Thanks for listening.